Hey, I'm Amar Chohan. And I'm Charlotte Williams. Thanks for tuning in to Love, Hate, Create, our podcast about the world of modern advertising. We speak with the smartest people from the industry to find out whether we should be outraged or optimistic about where things are heading. So today we've got Brent Smart on Love, Hate, Create with us. Great to have you with us, Brent. Um, Brent's the CMO of um, Telstra in Australia. Um, Prior to that, he was CMO um, for NRMA Insurance um, over in Australia as well. He's also spent time agency side, having held leadership roles at BBDO. And his last agency role was as CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi. So really good to have you with us, and thanks for for doing this at seven a.m. Um, on your on your time zone. It's the first time we've done a a, a UK Oz um, episode, so really appreciate you taking the effort. Early doors, and uh, hope uh, you've shaken off the the sleep cobwebs. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I haven't had a coffee yet, <gasps> so uh, I don't know how this is going to go. But um, <laughs> thanks thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's really great to talk to you guys. That is commitment. Thank you. Um, so Brent, <laughs> first up then, um, we have to ask you this, of course, as we're heading into Christmas, what is your favorite Christmas ad that you've seen this year and why? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, most years, I think John Lewis is the answer, right? I mean, they, they have such a, uh, incredible, um, you know, history of doing amazing Christmas ads and certainly... I've tried to match John Lewis several times and failed dismally. Um, but this year, uh, I think my favorite Christmas ad was actually one from the UK, so one that you guys would know really well. I think the JD Sports uh, spot from Uncommon, um, I'm very jealous of. I wish I made it. Um, but, you know, it's not your traditional Christmas ad. I don't think it even really sort of mentions Christmas. It just sort of happened to come out around Christmas time. Um, but I think the way that they have... Um, sort of treated that famous yellow bag um, from JD Sports as sort of the cultural icon that it is. Yeah. Uh, I think it's beautiful. Um, and I think, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of work tries really hard to be cool and culturally relevant. And I think that one does it in a really sort of effortless and authentic way. Um, I think it's just a incredible piece of work. It's a banger, isn't it? And actually, the the song they use... A banger. It, it, it banger. Remi- well, it reminds me of my youth because it's a really old track. Right, it reminds me of my youth. Yeah, so it's kind of appealing yeah. to bridging generations, I guess, because I'm not the younger generation. But yeah, it's. it's well, I didn't. I, I didn't grow up there. I didn't grow up there, so I don't really. You didn't you know, know it. I didn't really live with that famous yellow duffel bag of JD Sports, but yeah. but every person from London I talk to um, just loves it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a prequel, a sequel almost to to Nike's. Nothing beats a Londoner. When I yeah. when I saw it for yeah. the first time, I thought, "Oh wow, you guys have nailed it in yeah. the same way that they did." And there's a few similar cues as well. I think like the person on the on the bike doing a wheelie, um, obviously banging tune. I think that that's the one bit that I reckon that the youth of today <laughs> might take um, take a issue with is that actually there's not something more contemporary. They've gone. Yeah, it's probably a uh, a person in there, our age essentially, that loves that cho- tune and, and has the nostalgia yeah. for it, um, rather than something that's um, like filling their the kids' ears these days. Well, I guess that's the beautiful thing about music, though, right? Like it can sort of span generations, right? Um, my sixteen-year-old yeah. 
loves Radiohead, so I can oh, really, wow. you know, connect with him on that. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I think it's a banger, as you said, Charlotte. It's a it's, it's, it's a, a great banger. it's a great spot. I also love Radiohead. I could, yeah. we could talk about them for an hour, but maybe we should crack <laughs> yeah. on. Um, um, now, right, we're going to come to the main body of the podcast then, Brent, which is around what is it that you love, hate, and the change that you would create if you could make, uh, wave a magic wand in our industry. Um, so let's start with the positives then, the optimism. What is it that you really love about marketing, advertising, brands, creativity? Well, this is probably a cliched response that you get from so many people. Um, it's the creativity. Um, but to be you know, more specific, I, I, what I love as a CMO is being able to create the conditions for a great idea to not die, but to survive and thrive. Um, and I really don't take that uh, role lightly. I think it's a really um, incredibly important role because, you know, ideas are really fragile things. Um, they're never born perfectly into the world. Um, they need a lot of protection. Um, and, and I think it's so important as a marketer that you create a culture and environment where, um, you know, those ideas uh, have a better chance of survival um, because nothing has been created ever in the history of mankind that is as good at killing an idea as a corporation. Um, and, you know, for 20 years in my agency career, I tried to fight that. I tried to use sort of influence and um, persuasion uh, and you know, all the sort of tools at my disposal to get great ideas through the system. Um, but invariably, you know, it's pretty tough. Um, so I sort of thought, look, what, what if I could be on the other side of the table, what if I could be the person who could say yes to an idea? And what if I could then, um, you know, be able to get that idea through a corporation and get it through intact and and get it through in a way where, you know, we can craft it beautifully and get it through in a way where it actually gets out there into the world. It's a genuinely great piece of work that really moves people and, and really makes a difference. And that is the bit of the job that I absolutely love, and that is why I'm a CMO. And it's arguably harder than doing great work. If you come into an organization and there just isn't that confidence, right? Building that, because it comes into, into down to two things, it's culture and <laughs> capability. So I imagine the, the journey you went on with NRMA was a, a turnaround in terms of mindset, but also then the skill set to, to do great work. I think, what is it, 30, 36 most loved brand in Australia, then up to third and... Was it the most famous insurance brand in, in the world because of the work that you did there? Tell us a bit about then like how you take uh, a, a marketing organization from the point at which you, you inherited it to where it was when you left it. Yeah, well, I just just the, the, the first thing you said there about it's arguably harder, I would just say that nothing is harder than facing that blank sheet of paper and coming up with an idea and I have nothing but respect um, for, for creatives to do that. But but that said, yeah, it's hard, right? It is hard. It's really hard uh, trying to get big, complicated political uh, corporations um, to to get behind great work. That is that is definitely a hard thing. Yeah, the NRMA story is an interesting one. I mean, I, I never set out to work in insurance. 
Um, and, you know, it is a category that no one loves. It's low interest, um, isn't it? And so it's, it's super low interest, yeah. But I always say there's, there's no such thing as low involvement categories. There's only low involvement marketing. Um, and Excellent. I think that challenge of life, if you can bring creativity um, to a category like insurance, it can make a huge difference. Mm. And Amar, as you said, I mean, we managed to to take NRMA from being the 36th strongest brand in Australia to the third um, by the time, you know, my, my time there ended. And, and that was very much a story about creativity and brand building mm. uh, and how that transformed the brand and then ultimately transformed the business. Uh, because, you know, not only was it, only the 36th strongest brand in the country. It was it was in decline. Um, mm. You know, the business wasn't performing well. And I think that's the great opportunity for a marketer. They're the jobs you want. You want to come in when there's this real opportunity to do things differently, to challenge yeah. what was done before and and really sort of have a, a mandate for change. Um, I think that's the best opportunity to have as a marketer um, because you are able to sort of bring, you know, really sort of braver ideas and bolder ideas to the table because, you know, the whole point is, look, what we were doing, no one was noticing, wasn't making any difference, wasn't making any impact to the market. So let's try and do something that's going to, you know, really sort of, um, you know, have an impact. Um, and I think, I think look, the, the biggest thing about um, that journey we went on with NRMA was, was it started with a really strong and clear brand idea. And I think, I think that's the important thing. Like we can talk about creativity, um, and, and, you know, you can get lucky and create a great sort of one-off mm-hmm. um, piece of communication that, that gets great sort of traction and, and, and stuff. But I think if you get the strategic bit right and get the fundamentals really, really right, and you can get to a sort of positioning and brand idea um, that's really right for the business, but also really true for the business, um, and you sort of start from there, then not only um, can you sort of create great work, but you can also create the right great work. Yeah. And when you get those two things right, I think is when you see sort of really powerful transformation happen. So so with with NRMA, we had the most simple positioning and that was that NRMA is all about help. And 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 what was issuing the insurance category, I don't know if it's similar in the UK, um, but most of the insurance category in Australia sort of used comedy and and sort of made these things that happened to people, whether it be a car accident or whether it be yeah you know, your house burning down, they made them a sort of comedic act. Whereas that is a deeply emotional, traumatic mm. thing that happens to customers, right? So so we thought, let's respect that. Let's actually build the brand around the notion that we help people when these things happen. Um, and let's, let's, let's take a more emotional storytelling approach um, that really respects what the customer goes through when these things happen. But most importantly, also positions our company and our people um, as, as being incredibly helpful when these situations happen. And it became an incredibly rich um, territory for storytelling and really set us apart from the rest of the category. And importantly, probably most importantly, um, enabled us to be positioned as a premium insurer. And that's the thing I think a lot of marketers forget is, is one of the most powerful things we can do as marketers is get people to pay more for a brand. And I think, I think a lot of marketers focus on, you know, immediate returns, mm. short-term sales, mm. Yeah, prove the performance, and that's important. You got to do that. But if you can, I think if you can really sort of crack the right brand positioning, brand idea, brand voice, all those super important things, then suddenly people feel very differently about the brand. And and if you do it well and do it right, they're prepared to pay more mm. for the brand. And that is, that's a much better conversation to have with your CFO than uh, 
let's have a look at this quarter's performance results, you know? 100%. And I'm guessing, you know, when you were on a bit of a streak with that, it becomes a, a cycle of being able to get more investment from the, the board and those ideas, you know, just keep coming, right? It must have been a really exciting time for the business mm. and for the whole team. I'm yeah, I think momentum. Yeah, the momentum. I, yeah, I think momentum is is the most powerful thing in, in business, right? Mm. I think when you get momentum going um, inside a corporation, then you, know, you get belief, you get trust, um, and, and you get the confidence. Yeah, it's a swagger, that, isn't that, it? Creative what you're swagger. Doing is working. That gives you the momentum. <laughs> yeah, well, well, not too much. Yeah, though, not too much. Right? Not, like not too cocky. Also have a bit of humility. humility. I, think. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think humility is a really important part of, of, of how to be influential inside mm. corporations. You can't have the same swagger when you're in an agency as when you're inside, right? You need a, you need a bit of sort of humility and a bit of, um, certainly um, you need real sort of intellectual honesty about what's working and what's not working. And But I think um, just momentum and belief is so important. And mm -hmm. I see a lot of marketers, they go into these roles and they spend a lot of time trying to work out the brand strategy try to work out like, you know, where do, where do we take this brand? And that's super important work, mm -hmm. but it's not the work that I do first. I actually get to that work. What I try and do is let's make something, let's put it out into the world and let's see what sort of reaction we get. Let's start seeing how much we can sort of stretch the tone of voice of the brand. Let's just try a few things. Let's make a few things. Let's get that momentum going. And then when we sort of crack the bigger brand strategy, A, we'll have sort of, better knowledge of, of of where we want to take the brand but also we've got more confidence from the business that we know what mm. we're doing and that we're making an impact and that we can um you know take the brand to a sort of really interesting place so the first thing i did at nrma was a christmas ad funny funny there you go charlotte as, as per your first question the first <laughs> thing i did at nrma was make a christmas ad um and we made an and we sort of found a really interesting way of talking about christmas mm. for insurance which was instead of trying to sell insurance we just said to everyone, you know, it's the time of year when you have the most car accidents here in Australia. I'm sure it's yeah, the same most yeah. place in the world. Absolutely. People drive really long distances at Christmas, you know, on holidays, going to see family. So we just did a really beautiful emotional message that asked everyone, not just our customers, but asked everyone to drive safe this Christmas. Mm. And that was really sort of uh, different for an insurance company to be so generous and, and, and have that sort of message. Um, but that was the first thing we did, as opposed to trying to crack the brand positioning and, and, and you know... Um, take on those bigger strategic issues that we definitely needed to get to. I, mm. I just wanted to sort of something out there in the market that yeah. sort of, um, uh, you know, because I always say to you, if you want people to feel differently about a brand, you need to make the brand feel different. That's the first job, right? And so um, I think momentum's everything. And my advice to any new CMO is is get on with it, make some stuff, get some stuff out in the market, get some momentum going um, because your first year goes real fast. And the last yeah. thing you want to do is sort of get to the end of that first year and go. Yeah, da -da. Well, I've unveiled the brand done. strategy. No idea if it's going to work. Um, <laughs> but six months it's gone, yeah. right? Um, it's it's, it's, it's been a, a long time thinking about it. Yeah, far um, more like a kind of Silicon Valley type approach, isn't it? Like test, put it stuff, put stuff out there. If it breaks, fair enough. But we're going to get feedback from from the market, and super, a really smart <laughs> um, way to go about it. I, I'm fascinated about your kind of love for creating these conditions in which creativity can thrive just quickly before we move on to the next question practically then what are some of the things that you do to ensure that yeah. the the marketeers in your team 
feel that way and feel empowered mm. um and can like shoot for the moon with the the work that they're doing for the brand yeah i have a very simple philosophy um on how to build a creative culture which which obviously comes from 20 years of working in agencies but mm. but also comes down with six years of of working as a cmo um and it is hard on the work kind to the people and I do believe you need those two elements to a culture yeah. to be able to be truly creative. You need to be hard on the work. You need real intellectual honesty around the quality of the work you're creating. And you need to be have really robust debates. Um, you need to be able to push each other. Uh, you need to question things. And, and ultimately, you need to not be satisfied uh, with the first effort. <laughs> You've got to keep going. Yeah. Um, so being hard on the work... I think is really, really important. And all the best people I've worked with have incredibly high standards and are incredibly hard on, on, on the work. But if you can be at the same time incredibly kind to the people who are creating the work so that they feel trusted, so that they feel mm. it's a safe place where, where they can bring any idea and they can be vulnerable, um, where you know they feel encouraged, where they get good feedback and good coaching, um, you know, if you can get that duality going in the culture, yeah, then then you you start creating the conditions for greatness. I think what happens is a lot of people um, over sort of correct on the on on the psychological safety bit, which I think is super important, right? It's super important. You've got to have psychological safety, but it, but but if that's all you've got, it, it, the culture can be a bit soft. Yeah, um, you, you've got to also have that sort of hard on the work, intellectual honesty piece, I think, mm. um, if you really want to do things that are really, really, really great. That aren't mediocre. And, and like one of my things always, no, exactly, because yeah. I think, you know, look, again, it's cliche to say that good is the enemy of great, but but I do think that what I see a lot in so many different teams and cultures and organisations is the word great thrown around like, uh, you know, like like everything's great. Mm. And it's just not, you know, I always said like there's only one coral reef in the world that is extraordinary enough to be called the Great Barrier Reef. There's only one wall that is big enough to be seen from space called the Great Wall of China. You know, like, like great is, is is a very rare thing. There aren't many, think about how many truly great movies or great albums, um, you know, you've experienced in your life. Like it's not that many. Yet I think in a lot of cultures and teams, we just call things that are great that aren't great. So you've got to have that intellectual honesty about like what what is great and and, and what are we really striving for and and what does great really look like? And I think um, if you don't have that, then I think you do settle for good, and, and that will not lead to great work. Yeah, brilliant. So psychological safety, but not if it's going to sacrifice the quality of the work. Right? It's got to be for the sake of the work. Moving on then to the next. Yeah, moving on mm. to the next question, what is it that you hate about the industry that we operate in? Yeah, hate is such a strong yeah. word, isn't it? Oh, and, it and, is. You know, I, I try to be it's positive. Uh, I don't, there's not a lot of things I hate, although I'm a, a big Liverpool fan, so I do hate Manchester United. <laughs> oh, funny um, enough, I was going to say you, you, as, you were as, coming as across I, a bit like Jurgen Klopp with the combination of uh, intellectual honesty quality and psychological safety because apparently those are two principles that he abides by um, uh, to get Liverpool performing at the level that they do 
Amar, that is the greatest compliment. You're, That's a great you've lost me, Amar. Me. I'll Jürgen send you the podcast in which I heard it. Jürgen is, Jürgen is one of my <laughs> Jürgen's one of my absolute heroes. So I, I thank you, thank you very much. There you um, go. Yeah, look. So look, I, I actually think for me, I, I, I want to sort of talk about a time in my career mm. um, where, where I sort of hated how it made me feel about the industry, and and sort of hated how it made me feel about myself. Um, which is when I was CEO of Saatchi Saatchi New York. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was CEO of Saatchi Saatchi New York uh, in sort of late 2013 through to 2016. It sounds dreamy First on all, paper. I, mean, I just need kid, to preface this. It does sound well, I was about to say, dreamy, right? <laughs> well, I was about to say, Charlotte, like, yeah, for, for, for a kid from the suburbs of Melbourne, yeah. it was a dream, right? Like, oh my God, Saatchi and Saatchi, this sort of iconic mm. advertising brand that I'd always admired and respected New York City um, working on you know, some of America's biggest and best brands like Cheerios and Tide and Walmart and you know it's an incredible opportunity um, and, it, and it did start out really great actually you know like I had this sort of um, real vision that we could we could make Saatchi New York a, a really real sort of creative powerhouse and we could really sort of change the culture and we could really do something special um, but it, it, it very quickly turned into a nightmare. So, so, you know, it was a really tough time to be Saatchi and Saatchi. Um, we were competing against incredible creative agencies like Droga Five was was really on the rise. Then mm -hmm. New York Widen was 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 as strong as ever. Yeah. So we weren't quite creative enough uh, in any CMO's eyes to to take on those kind of agencies. And then we had the the digital agencies, um, you know, really offering incredible digital transformation the RGAs of the world. And then we had the rise of the, of the Deloitte's and the Accentures and the, and the consultants. Yeah. So, so, so not only were we not quite creative enough, we weren't sort of digital enough either. And it was a really hard time to be a network agency. You can, you know, in terms of trying to attract CMOs to want to work with us in try, in terms of trying to attract the best creative talent. Um, it was hard enough to hang on to the business we had, let alone, win new business and grow and yet the expectations of the holding company was growth and and the thing that we were judged by and pressured about mm. was growth um so it was it was an incredibly hard job you know you, you you couldn't sort of satisfy the holding company um it was really hard to build a great culture because we were we were just in a fight to try and sort of keep clients and and, and you know hit targets and Mm. Um, and, and after three years of it, um, you know, it, it really had taken its toll. Uh, it affected my confidence, my enjoyment, uh, yeah, this business that I'd loved, um, I, I just didn't love anymore. Um, and ultimately I felt like a failure, uh, which, which, you know, yeah. isn't cool. That said, now with hindsight, right, I can look back and go, incredible learnings, it made me incredibly resilient. I think there's no way I could take on these sort of big corporate CMO gigs without that resilience that that time gave me. Mm. But most of all, it made me start questioning what I was doing, why I was doing it, which ultimately led to me becoming a CMO, which I'm better at than I was at running agencies, mm. that I enjoy more. Um, than, than when I was in agencies and ultimately you know I've landed in the right place but but, but going through it uh, 
difficult time. I had a job, yeah. I had a business, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and and yeah, it, it wasn't fun. It sounds it sounds terrible. Do, do you think that it, things would be different now? I mean, it sounds like you wouldn't go back to agency side, right? Or, or never say never. But but do you think it was a particular moment in time? How do you feel about network agencies now? Because a lot of our people on our podcast talk about this and sort of you know how agencies are changing. Do you feel like it would be different, better? worse to step back into a network agency now do you envy the people in that job I, now i, I think <laughs> yeah yeah do you envy them <laughs> well look i think i think there are things there are so many things i miss about working in an agency mm. and 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 certainly the bit i wouldn't change is that i grew up in agencies i think i learned all the skills uh and particularly a love of the work that uh make me better at my current job because I grew up in agencies yeah. also met my wife in agencies so I wouldn't change that yeah. um but but I think I certainly grew up in agencies at a different time and I think now as I look at agencies I think there are a handful of agencies that are you know extraordinary and and you know most of them are independents mm-hmm. um you know the agencies I think doing the most interesting work in the world uncommon yeah. mischief um, you know, Bear Meets Eagle on Fire, who, who I'm, I'm now working with here in Australia, uh, they, they tend to be independents. I think it is hard to be a network agency. Um, and I think there's probably too many. Um, mm. And look, yeah, again, there are a handful that are really good. And in different pockets of the world, there are, there are certain network agencies that, that, that are doing really great work. But I'd say in general, it's a pretty tough place to be. And, and I think it's certainly a tough place if if you want to work with the CMOs who want to do great work, who want to make a difference, they tend to not want the safe bet of a network agency. They tend to want, um, you know, the more creative agencies. So 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 I think it's tough. I think it's a really tough place to be, and I think it's only got tougher. But but that doesn't mean, you know, there's some there's some great ones who who are still doing great work and will survive and will will continue to be really relevant. I just don't think all of them. Yeah. Can be, and it sounds like you were getting it will be. from all angles during your time at at Saatchi, a, a confluence of, of of things conspiring mm. against the 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 agency being successful or continuing to be successful. Do you think there was a a kind of reluctance or a, or just a slowness in terms of changing and adapting to those factors, or do you think it was just like unavoidable that they were going to get squeezed and the middle of all of those factors well i think i think to be able to make the sort of changes that we need to make at such new york and indeed that most network agencies have needed to make that's really difficult to do when your business model is under extreme pressure and you're not making money and you need to invest and you need to get ahead of the quarterly sort of cycle to be able to make like really big fundamental sort of changes. Um, that's really hard for legacy businesses to do. And it's hard for legacy agencies to do. And what you end up doing, unfortunately, is sort of clinging on to the business you've got as opposed to really thinking about how do we really transform to, to you know, um, be relevant and be competitive and be, you know, transformative in, in, in sort of the current 
world we we find ourselves in now there are there are a few who have been able to do it but most haven't and it's the truth yeah it's true for me now I, yeah i'm working for a big legacy business now i think it's true for anything any legacy businesses it's, it's really challenging to be able to change all the things that have made you successful to this point it, it, it's very hard to change those things but i do think that sort of quarterly cycle of needing to hit the numbers of of you know holding companies sort of demanding growth and demanding margin and more focused on that i think is really how we under that sort of pressure to get out of that pressure and to be able to sort of go yeah no what we really need to do is we need to completely um transform the business and transform the model and i mean just look at how many network agencies have been un- unable to do it you know uh they're sort of, and they're sort of limping along or merging um, so, so <laughs> or converging and you know or, mer- yeah. or doing what and that's yeah, and ask yourself why are WPP doing that? Yeah, like, because they don't need that as many network agencies as they've currently got. They need fewer. Yeah. <laughs> the world needs fewer. Yeah. In, and in the end, that's what it boils down to. You know, it boils down to um, there are too many agencies doing average work, and if 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 work is the currency, then w- why should they exist? Right? Like, like, and and that's brutal and and harsh to say that, but but. That's kind of the reality we find ourselves in. And I think, again, if you look at the landscape right now, it, it does tend to be the independents are doing doing the best work because they've got that freedom yeah. uh, where they're not caught in that constant sort of earning cycle. They don't have the pressure of holding companies. Like they're able to stay really sort of true and, and pure uh, and focused on what matters most, which is the work. And the um, reason for existing. So it's tough. Yeah. It's really, really tough. And, 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 you know, I, I really don't envy, um, you know, people who are in those roles. It's tough and hard. Um, but uh, I'm glad I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you're glad you're out of it. But no, it's interesting you talked about Uncommon, you talked about the ad, because I know Nils Leonard, he's very inspirational, isn't he? I know he was on your pod recently talking about, you know, why something like 75% of ads, you know, people, brands, people wish they, they don't care about them, right? They wish they didn't exist so you know it's about creating the brands that you do you know you wish existed creating the work you you want to see right and I just think yeah absolutely you've got so much more freedom to do that haven't you if you're if you're independent and not not with those constraints um of a a big network 100% yeah so you're glad you're out of that okay well (laughs) let's move on then we talked about love hate what is it what change would you create if you could wave a magic wand over the world of marketing and ads what would you change about it and how would you go about it yeah well wouldn't it be amazing to have a magic wand um but look one of the things about being in the role i'm in as a cmo is you you can affect change and and you can do things do things differently and and and, you know, what sort of made you guys reach, reach out to me and want to have a chat was um, I've just made a pretty major change to our agency model. And so I, I'd say what I'm really excited to create is a new agency model and a new way of working with agencies. Um, and I didn't need a magic wand to, to do it. I just I just need to sit down the clean sheet of paper and sort of think about, like, you know, what sort of agency model um, would I want to create right now? And and we've we've done it which is super exciting. So, and, and it's interesting, it's very sort of interesting based on the conversation we're just having because because I do think, um, you know, I now run 
one of the biggest brands here in Australia. And it's not as big as you know some of the brands in the UK and the US, but it's but it's big for for this country. And I think with big, complicated bits of business, you know, we'll talk before about network agencies. I mean, that is what they're good at. They are good at running big, complicated bits of business and there's safety in that for, for clients, right? Like I've got a big complicated bit of business. I need a big agency who can handle that. Um and and but what it and what it sort of ends up meaning is you sort of compromise on the creativity, you know. Um, which I'm not you probably got for this conversation I'm not very prepared to do. Um so so it sort of got me thinking about like, okay, so 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 you know, why can't you have the best of both worlds? Mm. Why can't you have a small independent creative agency at the at the heart of our brand and setting the creative vision for our brand, but then support that independent creative agency with all the infrastructure and resources and strategic thinking and capabilities um, that they need to to be successful. And why can't we do that in a way where it's not a takeover by the big agency, but it's a it's a it's an equal partnership, um, and also it's not a it's also not in a way where we force the independent agency to work differently mm. to to in any way uh, compromise its culture and its way of working what if we could pull that off right and and look i hope we have i don't know it's early days right we've just done it and and the proof will be in the work but but you know we've built this sort of interesting model um it's called plus six one um and it's basically an equal partnership mm. between bear meets eagle fire which I think is the best creative independent in this part of the world. Um, TWA, a mm. forward-thinking network agency that's prepared to work this way. They are the disruption agency after all, so <laughs> uh, probably makes sense. And then, and then OMD, our media agency, um, equal partners working in a really integrated way, but working in a way where we're not forcing them all to sit together, where we're not creating some new agency that none of them want to be a part of, mm. um, but we're just bringing them together in, a, in an interesting way and allowing them to sort of do what they're best at, um, and ultimately, I think as a, as a CMO, I get the best of both worlds. So, so yeah. that's what I'm creating, um, and and it is kind of interesting um, based on the chat we've had. It is sort of a sum of, you know, yeah. what I experienced in 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 running a network agency, some of those frustrations, what I've experienced as a CMO, wanting to work with sort of the best creative talent out there, um, and try to find the best of both worlds within within that. How did you arrive at that then? Because obviously, it's a, a a, a fairly fresh approach, a different uh, way of doing things. Um, I know you, when we kind of spoke initially, you said it started with a blank piece of paper. You don't want to just like carry on and, and try to tinker and, and, and adjust the existing model. You wanted to start again to figure out what was best. That's the first question. And then the other question is, well, is there an integration challenge? How do you get them to integrate? Um, is it just like you saying, well, I'm the client and you need to work together effectively? Or do you have like resource on your side to like quarterback it almost and, and pull it all together. Yeah, I think I think the important thing was we we said, you know, how would you do it, right? This is the sort of thing we're looking at, but mm. how would you do it? And we, and we sort of left those guys to come together and design something. And I think the great thing was they started with culture, not process or structure. They started with like, what sort of culture do we want to create? What 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 should this creative culture feel like that we want to build? And that was just awesome, right? Because 
in the end, I, I again, I've been throwing out the cliches today with you guys, but like, yeah, I <laughs> do it. believe culture eats strategy for breakfast. Absolutely. It certainly eats structure and process for breakfast. You know, so I think starting with culture and going like, what sort of culture could we create and how could the three of us come together to, to create that culture? Um, I think it was a really interesting starting point and a really powerful sort of starting point. Um, of course, you then need to put around it ways of working and, um, you know, and obviously we need to change on our end too to be to be more integrated and to sort of enable this um, AC model to work. Um, so, so we're definitely we're definitely doing a lot of work, sort of architecting those ways of working, and 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 you know, we really want to make sure that um, you know we 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 set this up for success. I think it's naive for clients to kind of go, well, we want you to change ACs, but we're not going to change. I mean, you know, you you, you kind of work together on this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was the big thing that really excited me was we started with a chat about a culture, and I think what's interesting is. All three partners really buy into that culture. All the mm. people in those agencies buy into that culture. And we're not doing that thing that so many clients have done where it's like, let's create the Telstra agency mm. and we'll put it over here and force you to work in it. And and the best creative people don't want to work in those one client agency ghettos. No. They just don't. I love the fact that you started with culture. I mean, it's so fundamental, isn't it? it, it you, are, you are creating and they're creating the agency that they want to be a part of, right? The culture that they want to be a part of. So I guess it's quite, throw another cliche word out, you know, it, it's quite empowering for them to be able to, I mean, it's quite radical actually, isn't it? For them to be able to create what they want to be a part of. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's, so it's interesting, right? Because again, when you are running a big brand, um, radical is probably oh you not don't want to say that right you sort of want to have no I know but you sort of want you you do want the creativity and the innovation and the um but but you also want to be able to, you need to be able to sell it to the business in a way that yes. actually this makes good commercial sense yes. as well so so I'd say it's definitely unique uh, it's definitely you know it's very different but it's also the, but the fundamentals of it are actually anything but radical because. I'm, you know, I'm saying let's go with this small independent creative shop who couldn't mm-hmm. normally handle a bit of business about something. Yeah, we'd crush an issue like that. Yeah, but let's actually bolster it with the infrastructure of a of, of a big network agency. Oh, let's stay with our media agency who who have been with us for 17 years and know our business inside out and back to front and are so great at managing our investments. And so there's so it's sort of this interesting balance of of yes, it's creative and innovative, but it's also got some uh, you know, we've de-risked it in a few ways as well. Um, and that makes it, you know, you know, you, you can imagine the sort of peculiar processes we go mm. through, right, in a, in a business of our size. Yeah. So you That's sort of need to have that balance between, you know, it's got all the creativity and, and, and sort of, um, you know, radicalness that, that, that I want, but it's also got some sort of really smart commercial um, decisions baked in there as well. And that's the other important thing too. We were working with four different agencies. There are all sorts of duplication and inefficiency within our old model. Mm-hmm. So there's also some really great efficiencies we get. The important thing is I, I'm not banking all those savings. I'm, I'm reinvesting those savings into more creative talent, more strategic mm-hmm. talent, more of the sort of uh, things that will make a real difference as opposed to just looking for efficiencies. Again, a lot of these moves are about efficiencies mm-hmm. and about cost savings and 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 they're not about actually making the work better, which is what this is yeah. this is all about. And I know you've you've aligned, haven't you, around what great work looks like. I know in our last conversation you were talking about you said work with them to define 
almost what what you want the work to look like a, a ladder if you like or a, a sp- yeah well we call it the creative dial um, dial that's and it. it's something we've worked on for a while and it, wheel dial ladder yeah, yeah. ladder that was, yeah <laughs> Heineken, yeah Heineken had yeah. a ladder Heineken had a ladder and, uh, yeah ABN Bev, ABN Bev have a spectrum and like so it's not it's not it's, it's not that new yeah um, but what's interesting is we did really study ABN Bev's um, move from from a, you know from a, a a client that wasn't really famous for creativity to being can market of the year two years in a row and 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 part of their journey was this idea of we need to have a common language around creativity and we basically need to be able to judge creativity in a universal way across our team. And so, and so they created this creative spectrum. We've got something similar. It's a dial between one to 10. We mark every single piece of work we create uh, every quarter. So it takes us about, I don't know, we sit in a room for like four hours um, and and we go through the work and we give it a mark, everything from the biggest campaign to, you know, an EDM. Mm-hmm. And, and the really important thing in the process is, A, the intellectual honesty, as I said earlier, yeah. around what what you know what's the quality of the work we're doing but also what starts happening is you know if you market people start paying attention to it right you're saying this is important what you're creating your output is important also in a highly quantum yeah quant based company you suddenly you've got a data point on creativity are we getting better quarter to quarter are we better in certain channels are we better for certain products like suddenly you've got some data you can start analyzing and you can start sort of putting a bit more rigor around this thing that's very hard to define called creativity um but the really important thing is 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 we we give feedback to each team we don't just give them a score we give them feedback and we dig into like you know why did we get this score let's look at the brief let's look at the craft let's look at you know, was it good in one channel but not in other channels? Are we like we get great learnings and the team's improving every quarter because we give them really good feedback. And again, I come back to hard on the work, kind to the people. We're hard on the work with the mark. We throw around a lot of twos and threes and stuff. Yeah. Um, but we're very kind in how we give the feedback and we coach and we support so that the teams can do something with that score and 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 improve. Um, and it's and it's really fundamental into how we sort of think about creating those conditions for great work to happen. It's about a culture. It's also about a capability. If you start treating it like a capability, creativity, um, think about all the other capabilities we take seriously in marketing, right? Mm. Marketing automation, media, like, you know, we take all this stuff, CRM, we take all this stuff, they're they're, they're capabilities and we need to, you know, spend a lot of time measuring them and developing Mm. people in those areas. And if you start to do creativity, um, it, it, Which is a game changer, but right? most, most yeah. people don't do yeah, it, right? The thing yeah. that can have an outsized impact on the success of your brand isn't being treated with that rigor and that quantifiable um, measurement, right? So it sounds like a, a very smart, smart move. Yeah, it's just sort of magic. It's this magic thing that sort of happens, you know? <laughs> So, which it is, but which I believe it is magic. Mm. But but you also need to have some rigor. Yeah. How how can you try and, to deconstruct and, and, and the formula, right? Like it. how can you how, how can you help people understand the formula, and how can you make a kind of systematic quest for it rather than just occasional sparks of brilliance? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's look, right. Yeah. Take the, try and take the luck out of the equation. That's how I think about it. You know what I mean? Try and take the luck mm. out of the equation. But but see, formulas are dangerous, right? 
you also don't want to, you, you can't, there's no formula for creativity, right? You gotta be really careful that yeah. you start, people start thinking we could, yeah, there's a formula or we get formulaic and we can engineer it. So you got, it's, it's, it's a very nuanced thing where you want to systematize it just enough. Mm. You want to quantify it just enough, but you don't want to strangle the creativity out of it and the magic Tight out of it. And, and so, so it's incredibly nuanced and, and hard to get right. But, but I believe that by just making an effort to systematize it and quantify it and get some real rigor around it, we'll just get better at it. Um, and, and that's, that's the end game, right? Like better creativity is what we're, we're, we're trying to do. Better, better for all involved, right? Um, d- from dumb luck to structured excellence is what my pal Arif Hack used to call it. He was an ex-PepsiCo <laughs> marvel. I love that. that. Set up the creative capabilities, function and contagious. Um, steal it. Um, I'm sure he'll, he'll enjoy that. S- Deal that. Can I steal that? That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, look, we'll be keeping an Love eye it. out to see how the the, yes. the work looks with your new agency model. Really exciting um, stuff that's going on within Telstra. Really appreciate you joining us on the show and, and thank you. Have a great Christmas. Thank you so much, Brent. Yeah, brilliant to meet you. Thanks so yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. It was really fun. And th- I mean, that Jurgen Klopp comment just sort of made my year. So thanks, so much. thanks Charlotte. And see you later. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Oh, dear.